morning. My name is Dina Jabor, and I am part of the Elizabeth Community Group. Please hear the reading of the word from James 3, 13 through 18, and 4, 1 through 10. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You adulterous people, do you, know, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, as we continue in our grace-filled sermon series, um, this week we look at humility, right? Humility. And this is, I think, lesson um, 12, 11 or 12 or, that we're doing so far in this uh, grace sermon series. And this week we look at humility It's part of what it means to live as a believer, and I listened to the original lecture um, done it, uh, by the founder or father of Sonship, discipleship, um, Jack Miller. And as a pejorative, a funny way of opening up his talk on humility, he said this, that everyone should listen closely to lectures and sermons on humility so they can learn how to help others get out of their pride and be humble. And the fact that all of us are tempted to approach any discussion on 
humility and pride with, I hope they are listening to this, is a clear indication that we are prime candidates and needed to receive the grace of God's humility for our sinful pride. So there'll be a temptation throughout this message for you to be like, I hope they're here or I'm going to recommend this sermon for them, right? Verse 6 says it, doesn't it? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the pride talked about in this passage is inconsistent. It, it doesn't jog. It doesn't go with you believers in here, with your identity as children, as sons and daughters of God, while humility comes only from and with the grace of God. With that in mind, there are two points I want us to see to facilitate our call to bow down and be humble, right? First, we must recognize that our passions have been poisoned by sinful pride. Our passions have been poisoned by sinful pride. And secondly, on the other side, our passions are humbled by God's powerful grace. Our passions are humbled by God's powerful grace. So I must ask, especially for my friends who are not believers or churchgoers, some of your friends have probably asked the same question. How could the church, we evangelicals, and when I see evangelicals, people of the gospel, right? The gospel, the reconciling message of Jesus, become a people marked by schism, division, pardon, partisanship, right? And fighting. How? Especially as confessional inerrancy of the Bible, reformed, doctrine of grace, denomination, and church like ours. How? In James, we see that our passions are poisoned by believing the world's hype and our personal hype, right? And by belief, right? Believing in that. I don't just mean mental agreement or, or acceptance, but belief as in what shapes and shows up in the motivations and decision-making and that volitional, emotional heart thing. Here's the word again, passion, right? The fire and fuel behind how and what you do and how you live. Look at our opening verses uh, in verse 13 and 16. It says, who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And then look at verses 1 through 4. What causes quarrels? There's a word. And fights among you. Is it not that, that, that your, here's the word, passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. 
You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not uh, and do not receive because you ask wrongly. You spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, it says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? There are obviously two kinds of wisdom and understanding going on here that are warring with each other, that are inconsistent with each other. And the Bible is warning us about letting the thinking, the mentality, the philosophies and ways that are common and normative, I'm using that word, to this world and culture guide our view of ourselves and how you make it in this world. How you survive, right? The mess and mix and opposition and issues that seem to come against you. The things you're facing in your life. How to be happy. And James drops these words like earthly and worldly. And says that that worldly thinking can be demonic. And not spiritual, right? But what he's saying is it's, it's, it's instinctive behavior, right? It is base behavior. It's the kind of stuff that you're born into and born with, the, the, the kind of depraved mind, right? That it's behavioral, it's, it's animal, it's that depraved instinct. And by calling it demonic, he states, takes it a step further by asserting that our natural, earthly, human-centered, instinctive, and sometimes uh, highly intellectual. So I'm not saying that these aren't smart people coming up with this stuff but those tendencies are where evil forces thrive and grow where demonic forces right find raw human vessels and hearts to disciple and shape our thinking our behavior our societal and cultural norms that are diabolically right diabolical they're opposed to what the lord desires for us just by what some folks describe as keeping it real, right? I'm just keeping it real. I'm just doing me, right? I'm just surviving. I'm just here. I was born like this, right? James describes that worldly wisdom as a personal, selfish desire wisdom. Much like we see in the animal kingdom. You dig into this world, it's animalistic, it's behavioristic. Y'all seen planet Earth, right? I grew up watching Omaha Wild Kingdom. Y'all know about that? Hey, how you doing? We went to Alaska. Remember that dude? It was the insurance company's long commercial. They did commercials differently back then. They had whole TV shows to tell you about Omaha life insurance. Remember that? Jack, Jack Cousteau? Jack, Jack Cousteau? Anybody remember that? Jock. Sorry. Jock. Jack American. Jock. French. Jacques Cousteau. Anyway, that's my age, y'all. But what you saw is survival is about off the, like, depends on what kind of animal you are. Getting away. Getting by. Dominating. Being the dominant. Not becoming endangered, right? Being the alpha. Or camouflaged. Or you got to be fast. Or you have to have a countering way about you, right? Or poison if someone tries to eat you like those frogs or harm you, right? To have protective and sometimes deadly protective mechanisms. Either be, to be at the top of the food chain or 
out of the food chain altogether, surviving by being the king of the jungle or on the other side, the leech. Or in as much supernatural power as it took for God to create you to be human and more than that and beyond the animal, animal kind of worldly wisdom, instinctual, behavioristic ways. Uh, it, 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 as much as it's taken God to do that, it takes, uh, James is saying, almost demonic power, right? To bring you down to a level where you're acting like an animal. This living, pagan is a good word for it, right? Self-protecting, self-ambition, self-survival, dog-eat-dog is, is what is behind sinful pride. And it is the thing that makes our world and society run. I mean, we, we wouldn't, it's almost like we wouldn't exist if, if that wasn't there, it seems, right? And, and it is what it makes the world run on us and run over us. Think about it. Our world, especially social media world, runs on, on exactly what verse 1 in chapter 4 speaks about as evil. What, think about it. Everything runs on fights and quarrels. And warring with what you feel and what you believe and what is right and wrong from your viewpoint. And back in verse 14, it says, on jealousy and selfish ambition. What's that mean? We want to feel good about ourselves based on how others are doing or not doing. Right? So we all up in other people's business. And we let ours be known on Instagram or Facebook when we want to feel good in a way to make us feel good or gain attention for ourselves. Come on, I shouldn't have to tell you this, but, but, but like you, sometimes I need someone else to tell me anyway, right? But the whole American economic system and loan and debt wealth is fueled, hear this, not by needing food, and shelter, and clothes, right? That hierarchy, hierarchy of needs, right? <laughs> Not just, but, but what? What kind of food? What kind square footage your shelter is? What kind of clothes? Who made it, right? Where was it made? Right? Not just even what, this is how, how crazy this passage is, is, is. It's saying not just what kind of food and shelter and clothes, hear me, what kind certain people are wearing, what kind they are or aren't wearing. I looked on TV, LeBron James was wearing that. Uh oh, I gotta go get some so I can look like LeBron James, right? I can play like him now. Nope. Y'all grew up the job. Okay, if you're my age, you remember, y'all remember zips, shoes? Boy, that commercial where you'd put the zip shoes on and then they showed like a bionic man kind of running. I wanted zip shoes. Now, I didn't even know how they looked on me. I just saw how it looked like on those kids on TV, right? I wanted that. And that's what commercials are built on. That's marketing, right? What are they eating? What are they wearing? How are they living? We, were, we are fueled in everything we do and don't do by jealousy. Right? And jealousy is simple, right? 
It's just trying and, and trying to not just keep up with what we see or think we see or imagine we see, right, or imagine, but be better than someone else or better than how someone else sees us or how we want others to see us. That's what James is talking about. And I know it's put you in quite a quandary this morning because there isn't anybody who doesn't think like that. I'm going to keep going just so I can get more of you in the web, right? And then we, when we can't hear and don't add up to someone else or someone else has something, as verse 2 says, that we covet or we want something, whether attention, some of us want to be the center of attention, right? We want a certain kind of attention or beauty or a certain figure or a certain size bicep, right? Or money or the clothes or get this. This is what it leads to. The bicep isn't the bicep. It's the respect of some sort, or they just seem good, right? Oh, look at those good people. I want to be like that. Or they are the life of the party, the way we want to be. I go into parties, I'm hating all the time. I'm like, who is that over there talking so much and so loud and making jokes? They ain't funny. <laughs> you know why? Because I want to be the center of attention. I want to look good. Somebody else got some cool looking sneakers. I'm like, man, he too old to wear that, right? <laughs> that shirt too tight. Why are you wearing that medium shirt? Because I want to wear this medium shirt and look good. Man, he's 48, got the medium looking good, right? And I get mad. And sometimes Harris and I play a little game. And it's a hate game. We like, what are you doing over there? We just will say it out loud. Why is he standing? He just thinks he looked good. Right? Look at him. Look how he's walking. He think his shoes look, yeah. Look how he's acting. He's all happy. That's because he think he's something. He ain't nothing. Right? Or something like that, right? Jealousy makes us haters. James calls it murderers or of others and ourselves. Some of y'all look across the room and are adding and subtracting like a lion or a leech. Passive and aggressive or aggressive killers, right? In the jungle to survive how the world or you have been told by the world to see yourself in order to not be socially Darwinized. And some of y'all have reacted by saying, okay, ready? I refuse to be like them. Y'all all alternative acting, you don't wash your hair, stuff, wow, your clothes don't match, you shop at the thrift store on purpose, you don't want no kind of tag on you. Jealousy still. You can't escape it. You don't, you, 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 what we call you alternative or edgy, you different with yours because you don't and can't, up to the can't add up to the beauty deep down you despise as a threat to your value and worth according to a system of, of evaluation. Somehow that has gotten all up in here. Some of us are so alternative and different, we are unhealthy in all, you don't wash. And then you come up with some natural earth reason why. I'm not going to be like the world, all consumed by the economic system. So I'm going to buy this $10 non-whatever deodorant. And it don't work. It's jealousy. And it makes you do crazy stuff. 
going to buy these shoes because, you know, these are earth-friendly. $50 for $10. No, $150. Look at me. I'm not like y'all. I don't do Nike. Right? But you do something else that costs twice as much. And it's bad for your feet. Because <laughs> it's up in here. Something's got us. And we have a mark, y'all. Someone or something we are coveting, wanting, and don't have, and are not joyful and happy until we get it. But here's a deeper problem with worldly pride. It is not just not happy until you get what you want. You know what James is teaching? The Bible is teaching we are not happy in worldly pride until they don't have it or they are not joyful in it until they are humiliated too. Until we are not just above them, but in a place to punish and judge and conquer and dominate and destroy and lessen them or exposing them in some way. You see the word, word in verse 14 for boast, it means this. It's not just I'm happy in myself. The word for both the pride there is happy, lifted up, raised up. Hear this. Against or on top of someone else. Prideful and triumphant as you and only as you pummel and expose and demoralize and destroy someone else. You being proud because someone else is humiliated. You can't be fine with your own opinion or viewpoint until the opposition, opposition gets theirs. A score is settled until someone else realizes I'm right, but you wrong. Right? Some of us share our ideas because we just want someone else to feel like they're wrong. Sometimes we share ideas on Facebook or Instagram or wherever we share it. I can't, I can't keep up with all. I don't even look at that stuff anymore. Right? Why? So the... <laughs> okay, I did it yesterday. I got, some, I got a special drink that they don't make in this country. And I post it on Instagram. And my son was like, Dad, hold it in your hand. Hold the liquor bottle in your hand. Dad, pastor. And hold it up against the granite countertop. But as you hold it, it looked good like that. I took the picture. And here's what I wrote on Instagram. Try getting this at your local ABC store. Not, it only comes from another country. See what I'm saying? Pride! I just, I, I couldn't just enjoy for myself. I, I didn't even open the bottle. I just want to, I want y'all to come over so I can say, see? <laughs> and it's not open because I don't want you drinking any, right? I just want you looking. I'm not happy until someone else can't have or doesn't have what I have. And it makes sense why sinful pride is described as selfish ambition and worldly wisdom. And this is real interesting, especially in the political climate we live in. Because you know what the word for ambition is? 
in the original language, partisan. Luther has a quote that says partisanship is, is evil for the church. Martin Luther, 1500s. Right? Before the Republicans and the Democrats, partisanship is bad for the church. Right? The word for ambition is partisan as in political party. Right? Not, hey, happy birthday party. Party as in we are opposed to each other party. And in this case, it is saying you are a party of one. Hear me now. All you do has nothing to do with belonging legit, legitimately to contribute. It is only belonging to your crew or family or organization or congregation or association as it serves you and me, the party of one, where you're free to fight for and against and be in a super pack of fellow self-ambitious people. So sinful pride is not about being numerically alone. On the contrary, it is getting as many people in powerful systems working with you to get and be who you want to be, to promote you. It is being self-centered in everything and most things you do, you only do what benefits you and you will turn and become defensive if they turn you out or ask you for more that will lower your position. Here's the point. The world outside of the community of God's grace, James is saying, is the fraternity. It's a fraternity. It's a sorority of selfish ambition, jealousy, and partisanship. The whole world is the jungle and has informed and discipled and influenced us to be partisan, self-absorbed, angry, vindictive, vengeful, right? Of anyone or anything that gets in the way of our degree and philosophy of self-fulfillment and desire. And of course, here's where it doesn't stop. We may be angry and jealous of everybody, but it even turns us against the Lord if he gets in the way. That's why it's demonic. That's why verse 4 in chapter 4 says this. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Being in the family of God, the people of God, is not just being in the household of God. It also means not being in and of the world and its wisdom and ways. There's a lot of confusion in this for us, especially for me. When I read this, I was... Afraid to talk about ambition and success as being selfish ambition. Especially for those of us who come from non-privileged backgrounds or histories or ethnicities. Where it required looking out for yourself and cutting off people, remember, who bring you down. And even your own culture. To be not just fierce. But some of my sisters like Beyonce, Sasha fears, right? To get yours. But when you come from people, or maybe you're a woman who's not been treated well or accepted or even taken advantage of, it is easy to become and be taken by this worldly wisdom. Sometimes where we want to arrive is we want to be more worldly wise like the people we think we want to be like. And being a golden child, I call myself that. Kelly's a golden child, too. I see I'm a prince. She goes, uh-huh, I'm the princess. 
a golden child of civil rights parents, an African-American son of the low country. That means I grew up not even 25 miles from the tea plantation my family, my, my uh, ancestors were enslaved on. Not 10 miles from the port we were brought in. I have learned in the background of that to be self-ambitious and self-preserving and self-protecting and self-securing and self-centered. Trying to make it and be accepted. And with it, my heart, like many of yours, maybe it isn't a race history. Maybe it's something else. I'm just talking because that's my testimony. I'm not saying it has to be everybody else's or you're excluded because you're not my color or my gender or you're not from the low country. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying testimonially, we all have been consumed and crushed and shaped by all kinds of vile and sad and lonely decisions and experiences. I have lost so much of my ability to love, y'all. To trust. I've run through friends and potential relationships and even my family too, right? My children and my wife and close friends are not safe because there is this temptation and selfish ambition to hollow them out, feasting on their neediness and weakness to strengthen my personal convictions and drive and desire and career. Some of us are even, this is hard, keeping and securing and leading and looking, looking for, hear me, we are hoping to find compliant, complicit community so you can keep being selfish and jealous. You know what the world says? Find the cooperative. Be on a party. Find a side, not to serve, but to position yourself to sustain your selfish ambition. This is sad. But find the right friends. Find the right boyfriend. Find the right kind of girlfriend. Y'all ready? Marry the right kind of spouse so you can be selfish. So I look at my life, much like yours, there's a long line of vice, vow-driven carnage of usury and hatred. Let's call it what it is. Selfish ambition is desire to be your own God. Our own saviors, our own kings, our own queens, our own father to care for ourselves. But the problem with sinful pride is that you are trapped being God, trapped being God without the power or nature to handle being God. You think you're running things and the devil and the world are riding you into the ground and using you to destroy others. Destroy churches, destroy families. So how do we break out? Okay, enough bad news now. How do we break out of self-serving? Self-serving, I'm getting like, oh man. That's it, let's go, right? You better not leave us like that. How, do, how does it break? Our passions must be humbled by the grace of God. God has given grace in his community of faith for, for those who are poisoned and sickened by sinful pride. You come in here selfish. 
you come to God selfish, right? But, and he does this by reminding us and calling us into a family of sons, right? As we talked about the concept of sons, as brothers and sisters, you see our passions are humbled by the grace of experiencing each other's passion. You see that the issue of the passion, the, the issue of passion described here is that it is selfish, self-ambition driven passion. But what verse 17 is telling us is that grace-filled passion looks like what? Let's look at it together. Grace-filled passion looks like um, wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, right? Anything but the world tells you. Nobody who makes billions of dollars being gentle, right? They end up on the cross, but we'll get to that. <laughs> Gentle, open to reason. Come on, the top-selling books are all unreasonable with anything but themselves, right? Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial and sincere. You know what that sincerity means? Oh, I'm going off script. It's going to take too long. That, 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 that sincerity basically means I'm going to write a book on an issue. I'm also going to tell the weakness of my issue. Here's my argument. Pretty good. Here's where my argument falls apart. Because I don't want you to think my argument is completely right. I ain't that sincere. And that kind of book don't sell. It's called the Bible. Right? It sells. I mean, it sells. But you get what I'm saying? Like, it ain't the New York Times? I guess it still is. Okay, we're not getting into that. Because somebody would be like, I knew he was going to go off. Okay, anyway. And then look at verse 7 and how naturally it pours into the next chapter, verses 11 and 12. It says here, now, now listen to this carefully. Um, I, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Remember the demonic entry of, into our selfishness? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Remember, he talked about the war within our hearts. Be wretched and mourn. No, that ain't humble. That, I mean, that's not pride. Mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before God. Be, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now listen to this part. Ready? Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother judges brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, how all this connect? And you know, I, have, I, I run into this dilemma because I want to exegete a text and I want to get through the topic. So it's difficult. So just hang in there with me, please. It's worth it. Then you can do what you want to do. Here's the point. You will only mourn, cry, and despair as verses 7 through 12 say, 11 say, as you become an advocate an emotionally involved intercessor where you connected to the issues of your brothers and sisters. See, this is a call to make your passion someone else's and not your own. That you don't stand in judgment as the scripture says. This is a hard one for believers, judgment, right? You don't stand in judgment as the scripture says because you are not the judge. You're an advocate 
for whatever someone else is facing instead of facing against them with what you are passionate and self-ambitious about. And when you are an advocate for someone else's heart, someone else's passion as your own, you, it will be like seeking mercy and grace as you would for yourself to love your neighbor as yourself. I like a good law movie, and especially a defense attorney. Seems so ruthless, don't they? Because they're in there representing the interest, the best interest of their client, hear this, regardless of what they are told. Tell me the truth. I did it. Okay, let's see whether we can get you some mercy. Let's see what the law allows for you to receive grace. God's calling us not to be the prosecutor, but the defense attorney for the world. Now hang in there with me, because I know I'm an evangelical too. Technically, a person of gospel, right? Right? And, and some of like, oh, absolute truth, right? No, I can't be a defense attorney for people who do wrong. I have to stand on the side of truth. And right there, that default tendency is pride. Now, let me tell you, hear me, hear me. Wanting to elevate us to something more than being a child of God by the grace of God. See, James is saying we are tempted to be the judge with God instead of being an advocate and friend of someone else's life before God, between them and God's offer of grace and mercy. See, God is not calling us to be judges, to lift ourselves up in pride, but sons and daughters who can be advocates and friends and siblings that are crying and begging for mercy for others because we do know the law. We know the truth and being gentle and loving for their condition because we are fellow sinners, pardoned, adopted, and kept by God's grace. I remember growing up, man, we used to get the paddle. That's the way we were disciplined, all right? Y'all can judge daddy later, Okay. But we had that fraternity paddle, AK on one side, Omega on the other. That thing was this long. And it was time to get a spanking. Howard, you just have to go get your own weapon, right? Own discipline, tool of discipline. Dad, I mean, Howard, go get the paddle. <laughs> I can't get it. <laughs> Moving slow, hoping he forgets. Daddy never forgets. Here comes my little brother. Here it is. That's the kind of sibling James is saying, don't be like. <laughs> the kind of sibling as you're getting paddled over there laughing. <laughs> or the worst kind where you're not, you know, you're not supposed to laugh and you get hit and then the sibling, oh, runs. That's just as bad. That's that black people laughing to go, oh. Well, you're just going to laugh at somebody in shame. It's more shame to see everybody run. Oh, man, if you fall down, oh, you okay? Yeah, ah, right. That 
that kind of pride. That's the judging piece, right? That, that, that shame bringing, right? I, 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 remember I, was, I remember a story when I was five years old. I, my cousin went to the corner store to get some now and laters with crackhead Tony. Tony was a loving crackhead, too. I mean, he wouldn't let nobody, nothing happen to you. You safe with Tony. But Tony was a crackhead in the neighborhood. Everybody knew Tony. He lives right next door. Come on. Hey, Miss Sarah, I brought Stephanie home. We, we had to stop by. Instead of going, taking a taxi home, she let Tony walk her home. Well, I was waiting, and Grandmama had the Afro comb. Yes, you get spanked with that, too. It was a plastic one. A comb, right? And she was like, I'm like, what you going to do with that comb, grandmama? I was five. I remember sitting at that window. What you going to do? She going to get it. This me. Yeah. <laughs> she needs it. She shouldn't be with Tony. Right? I wanted now and laters. I was mad she was taken by Tony to get now and laters. So she should get beat. Why are we like that to each other? I must ask you, is your life more about, and this is a real challenge for those of us who were discipled in the era of Christianity and evangelicalism that I was discipled in. Is your life more about what you stand for instead of who you stand for and with? That's why he's talking about the law here. So many of us are standing on stuff we describe as right, wrong, truth, justice, mercy, moral, moral, right? The humility of God teaches us the what is not your primary goal. Never has been. Jesus straightened it out. The law, the holiness, the behavior, the absolute truth, the morality, these are in the category of the what. Remember how all the what is summarized? Do you remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our passions are humbled as we stand for and are passionate with whose instead of what. And that's, you know, no one cries or weeps or properly shows gentleness or mercy or grace for what. Let me tell you what's right. Let me tell you what political route to go. Let me tell you what is, is bad and what's good without even seeing who you're talking about. You can't fulfill the law on what. It must include who. The Lord who you know personally and people who you're passionate about personally. If you're just concerned about what, then like the Bible says here, you become a judge. And if you're a judge as a broken human being, you will be proud. And all kinds of, what's the Bible says? All kind of evil and vile practices will come out of it. You ever wonder why all these moral organizations, all these churches, man, ours too, all kind of stuff. If you take a pen and pop, oh my gosh, we didn't know what was behind the curtain. What's all this mess? Why all these lies all these years? Why all this, you know, sexual abuse and these kind of abuses and all these kind of things? What's been going on? Because they wanted to stay in a position of judge. Truth can never come out. You can't handle being God. You can handle the truth. 
Sorry. You movie people. What you can't handle is being God or being the judge. Who will drive you to do what is necessary? Hear me now. It's not a bring it, losing of truth and law. If you're involved with who you are called to be involved with, what you know about the word of God and the truth will be given rightly. We experienced, let me tell you something. Last week, I mean, it was hard. I preached, preached long, like I'm doing now. When I preach long, say things you need supposed to say. I made a, <laughs> so stop. Yeah, I, that, that's one option. I'm too proud to listen to you right now. I'm in my spot. But I made a wanton comment last week, right? The word is wantonly. And I said, you know, wanton it's not, doesn't mean a new appetizer on a hipster menu. And y'all laughed. And someone said that wasn't good for some Asian Americans. Felt slighted by that or felt something in here. Not an attack, but it didn't sit right. And when I first heard it, I'm like, please. That's not what I meant. Get over it. That's what was first in my mind. You know, it took some time, but I listened. It became about who and the what that happened to me was a feeling of humility. And I had to kind of go through the feeling of pseudo shame to get there. And I apologize to someone who had explained it. I was just going to make them complainers and oversensitive. Judge, you're just a complainer and oversensitive. Instead of advocate, tell me about what it made you feel and why. That's why we can't get along. One key piece about poison passions, having kind of a self alone. And, 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 and you know, I, I'm not going to get into it because I'll be exegeting for three days, is when it talks about your prayers being amiss, it's saying you're praying for you. No one else shows up in your prayer life except you and your selfish ambition. That's why it doesn't work. We should be crying mercy, grace, and justice for those around us. But the one thing that's going to break, and then I'm going to run to my final point here and not get too much, is have someone else love you as an advocate. I've seen it in this congregation, seen it in my life. All it takes for something to break you down, you're exposed, let somebody in this congregation come alongside of you instead of judge you. Now, godly humility finds a home. When you're on trial, and people come as a friend and not a judge. Not wanting to hear the story so they can feel better about themselves, but wanting to hear your story so you can know God's grace better. Philippians 2nd chapter says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each one of you look not only to his interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus as ours, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, our father. Humility comes through peace with God. You know how God accomplished that peace? Just like your pride is about going against someone else. The glory of God in Christ Jesus went against your pride and won. He's calling you to put down your weapons, put down your arsenal, put down your murderous ways because God's beat you with grace. You're conquered. Your little kingdom or queendom has been brought to its knees through the Lord. And like Christ was exalted, you're exalted. You see, when God conquers our lives through Christ Jesus, he doesn't do it to humiliate us. He calls, he does it to exalt us, to be sons and daughters. You've been conquered. Your kingdom has been overthrown, and now you're a son. Now you're a daughter. Now you have brothers and sisters. And the grace of that event is powerful to humble us. I have great hope in this congregation. Going into 2020, here comes election season. Here comes Facebook. Here comes Instagram. Someone asked me, how does Christ Central make it? Being so confused and made, made up. And how are you selfish too? Yes. You partisan too? Yes. The grace of God has brought a supernatural humility to bear in this congregation, and I don't know why. We're, we're free to be wrong. Well, we don't have to be right to be accepted. I want you all to bow down and come into the Lord. Um, I was watching a news show the other day. And it was a show about a uh, nonprofit organization of uh, kids who have lost their sight. And they made blankets to take to the shelter. And um, they interviewed the lady who led the organization, and she was blind, too. And when I looked at her, the first thing I thought was, man, how do you know what you look like on TV if you're blind? I wouldn't go on TV because I have to be sure how I look and how I come across. Forget the cause. Forget the kids. 
if I led that organization, I would have to be able to see in order to be effective. Do you know what the Lord does to humble us? He calls us and invites us by our grace, his grace to be blind to ourselves. To feel his grace. To feel for one another. Instead of looking and examining and judging. Reminds me of times when my, and in this picture I thought it was great. You ever been embraced? So much that you can't see. Almost so much you can't breathe. The other day Keller's like, come lay on the bed and hug. Like, no, lay this way. She had a certain way. Lay on the edge of the bed and put your face, yeah. And I was like, why are you making that sound? Because I can't breathe. But she wanted me right in here, right? And that's how my parents would hug you. And mm -mm. you don't even need to see. Seeing is not important. I close my eyes sometimes when I hug. Because seeing's not important. How I'm seeing is not important. Because I've been embraced by love and grace. Humility comes and pride is broken. And how we see ourselves is transformed when we experience the embrace of God's grace as sons and daughters. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. For how you break partisanship, even in a congregation like ours. Lord, as we look at the news as we take stands on things theologically, socially, economically, culturally, ethnically, politically. Help us to only go to what those things are. As we've been exposed and experienced, experience who you are and who we are as brothers and sisters. Break that pride. You, the Bible says you've overcome the world. So overcome the worldly wisdom that's at, at work in us. Break the chains of it. Help us not to be mean. Help us to be gentle by your grace. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.